0: If you're listening to this podcast, it's because you're interested in Iceland, or maybe you're planning a trip and you probably have questions. Lots of questions. Circa's new concierge feature, which is now open in Iceland, will change how you travel. You can connect with us directly through the Circa app and we'll put you in touch with your very own local concierge in the land of fire and ice to ask any questions you have. No matter when you're traveling, Let us help make your trip one to remember. For a limited time only, the Circa Concierge is completely free. So download the Circa app from the iOS store and connect with us. You've got questions, we've got answers. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. Welcome to Circa. This is the second part of our Iceland War and Peace episode. If you haven't heard the first part, we suggest you do that now. If you have, welcome back to the untold history of the wars that have shaped Iceland. We're going to tell you about a lot of places you can see here that will bring these stories to life. But don't worry, there will be maps, notes and info on the places mentioned in these guides in the Circa A. So just sit back, put your headphones on This is a story like no other. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. So, you might not think of war when you think of Iceland. The most peaceful country in the world may have never participated in a war but it has been forever changed by them. From the Sairas to the Second World War, Iceland has been a place to hide out, a strategic base surrounded by treacherous waters, which is where we're going right now. The War Comes to Iceland The strategic location of Iceland was best described by the German geopolitician Karl Haushofer, and later quoted by British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Whoever possesses Iceland holds a gun, firmly pointed at England, Canada and the United States. As the war intensified, so did the importance of getting war supplies to Europe from the United States. In 1940, during the early days of the war, a steady stream of ships sailed east across the Atlantic Ocean under British protection. The United States was still a neutral country. Ships sheltered midway at the naval base in Kvalfjurdr, just north of Reykjavik, before embarking on the second leg of this perilous journey. The deep mountainous fjords often had more ships mooring within it than the largest UK naval stations. This historic former naval site is about a 30-minute drive from Reykjavik. The fjord is one of the most scenic spots on the west coast of Iceland. The War and Peace Museum, an unassuming former community centre on the north side of the fjord, packs more World War II history within its walls than the rest of the country combined. It's a quirky museum that feels like a movie set, with a nightclub, war rooms, barbershop and rationing store. Immerse yourself in the sounds of history, old radio communication, Morse code, and 40s dance hall music among the uniforms, guns, and mines scattered around. Don't worry, the mines were safely diffused. For the full experience, order a shot of rum at the bar, the daily drink ration of British troops in Iceland. Longtime owner Goyi will be glad to tell you a couple of unbelievable war stories over a drink. Nearby at Mid-Santur, you can see the largest American Nissan Hut camp still standing in the world. The quiet empty base used to be the most strategic base for the Battle of the Atlantic. The military village is set in the scenic mountainous fjord, named after the folklore of a mad whale. As the story goes, it was actually a man who, after getting an elf queen pregnant and then disowning the child, had been cursed and who would become a whale that indiscriminately sank the boats of fishermen. Ironically, this local lore was quite resonant when you consider the threat the Allies and Icelandic seamen faced during World War II. Massive convoys of ships with war supplies would make the journey across the Atlantic from North America to Russia and Europe, the largest of them contained over a hundred ships, and they were hunted by German submarines or U-boats, called wolf packs. The British, and later American, naval bases in Iceland were crucial stops for fuel supply and shelter, and the air forces based here protected the convoys. This ongoing fight in perilous waters would become known as the Battle of the Atlantic. The casualties were would be massive. In June of 1942 alone, the Germans managed to destroy 124 ships in the North Atlantic. If you find yourself in the small town of Seydisfjordur in the East Fjords, between April and September, then drop by the local pub Café Laura and order an El Grillo, a local beer named after a British tanker sunk by the Germans in 1944 and still resting at the bottom of the fjord. Icelandic fishing boats and passenger ships sailing under a neutral flag also participated in convoys. Transporting fish to the UK and military supplies back to Iceland was a lucrative but risky endeavour. The Icelandic ships often had protection from British naval ships, but this also made them a target for the Germans. And so Icelandic seamen found themselves on the actual battlefield. One of the most infamous attacks took place off the southwest coast of Iceland in November of 1944. The passenger ship Gordafoss was arriving in Reykjavik after having led the convoy UR-142 through a stormy night. The convoy had broken up and ships were arriving one by one past the Reykjanes Peninsula. Off the rocky coast, where windsurfers now catch giant waves, the German submarine U-300 lay in hiding. Its first prey was the oil ship Shirvan and when the Icelandic lead ship Godafoss arrived at the site to rescue the 18 crew it too was sunk. Over 40 people were killed in one of the deadliest attacks the Icelandic nation suffered during the war. When sailing in a convoy the rule was very clear always keep going never stop. So when a ship was attacked the orders Usually prevented other ships nearby from stopping to help. The likelihood of a German submarine striking again was too high. Follow boats at the back of the convoy would do their best to save lives, but thousands of sailors perished in the cold Icelandic waters as their ships sank. In June of 1940, the Icelandic fishing vessel Skatlegrimur, en route to the UK with a valuable cargo of fish, received an emergency signal. They diverted their course and sailed for eight hours to reach the British warship Andamia. They arrived as Andamia was disappearing into the ocean but managed to save 350 soldiers overloading the decks of a small fishing boat. In 1942, a crew of seven Icelanders rescued 50 German submariners whose U-boat was unable to dive after a British attack. An act of compassion, certainly, That sunset was foolhardy, but also a reminder that Iceland viewed itself as neutral throughout the war and despite the occupation. In the village of Vik on the south coast of Iceland, there is a small maritime museum where the Icelandic boat is on display. We will have a link in the notes. If there was a single moment in Icelandic history that had the most significant impact on World War II, it was probably this one. In September of 1941, off the western coast of Iceland, British pilots spotted the U-boat U-652. The U-boat was attempting to ambush the American tanker USS Greer in an area known as Torpedo Alley. The U-boat missed, got away, and a chase ensued. Though the United States had not yet been drawn into the war, the attack spurred the U.S. to begin arming their shipping fleet. U.S. soldiers arrived in Iceland the very same year. And it led President Roosevelt to famously compare the Nazi U-boats in the Atlantic to rattlesnakes. The United States would not continue to wait to be bitten. For more information on this fateful event, along with... The other ocean battles around Iceland during World War II, check our notes. Few travelers are aware of Iceland's World War II history. The remnants and relics are easily missed. But the history is still there to experience if you know what to look for. Walk around downtown Reykjavik and imagine thousands of soldiers mixing with the locals of a tiny city. Stroll down to Hresingaskálin, a downtown café where soldiers hung out, pouring alcohol into their coffee. The village of Kverakerdi is now a destination for hikers heading to a hot river in Reykjadalr to bathe, but it used to be the base for the Canadian Mount Royal Fusiliers, patrolling the highway leading to Reykjavik. And on the eastern banks of the massive river Ulvusau, just south of Selfoss, over 1,500 soldiers were stationed at RAF Kaltanes. This is where fighter planes took off to protect shipping convoys crossing the Atlantic. The runways are still visible on satellite images, but the hundreds of buildings were torn down and sold to local farmers a long time ago. These buildings, iconic for their arched shape and corrugated metal, are the most common and surprising wartime relic hidden in plain sight. The political chaos of war in Europe, just like in World War I, was a blessing in disguise for Iceland. At the end of World War II, while Denmark was still under German occupation, Iceland declared full independence. Independence, especially after foreign occupation during the war, was a very popular idea. And while some felt the move was politically devious, in truth, Iceland was already on the path to freedom, Denmark had granted autonomy in 1918 with an agreement to consider independence in 25 years. Had there been any hope by the Danes to stand in the way of the will of 97% of the Icelandic population, the chaos of World War II dashed it. The end of World War II in 1945 also meant the end of foreign occupation. The last U.S. soldiers, left in 1947 but the United States military kept operating the airport at the former military base of Keplavík. But before the dust of World War II had settled, a new war was brewing between the east and the west. Iceland soon found itself in the middle of the Cold War. Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. The Cold, Cold War. When asked to be part of the founding of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, in 1949, the Icelandic government hesitated. Iceland entered negotiations with one stipulation, Sjärstada. It means special status and refers to the nation's core principles, that it would never declare war never have its own army, and never allow foreign troops on its soil during peacetimes. The terms were agreed, and Iceland joined NATO in 1949. Icelandic politics have long been marked by coalition governments and a strong socialist element. While the majority of parliament voted in favor of joining NATO, the public was more split. At a time when Iceland numbered around 120,000 people, it is thought that nearly 10,000 protested outside parliament at the oldest square in town, Østervædlur. This is still the site of all major protests in Iceland, but also of socializing on sunny summer days. The protest was colored as a communist-organized event, and the U.S. and Icelandic government would come to view a communist takeover from within Iceland as a major threat. The Keplavík Agreement in 1951 allowed for the extended presence of US troops in Iceland. It was seen by many as a further betrayal by the coalition government and it created a radical split in politics and society with calls for a referendum. But in 1951, a new defense agreement was signed with the United States to be in charge of the nation's defenses, which during the Cold War meant keeping an eye on the Russians. The military base in Keflavik became a key location for new radar stations monitoring the movement of the Soviet army in the North Atlantic and Arctic another base was Stocksnes in the southeast of Iceland about a six hour drive from Reykjavik it is now a popular location for landscape photographers chasing the sunrise at the majestic mountain Vesterhort an epic location where sets were built for a massive Viking movie that never ended up getting shot the film set is still there to visit along with a cafe and small hotel. We'll put a link in the notes. The North Atlantic was the front line of the Cold War. Soviet Delta and Typhoon subs and American Ohio subs played their part in a nerve-wracking game of mutual annihilation, observed from the shores and radar stations in Iceland. The giant parabolic antennas of the Hutton Air Station are gone but the Icelandic Coast Guard still operates a smaller radar station there. While soldiers sat staring at radar and sonar screens looking for nuclear missile-armed Soviet submarines, life in the nearby fishing village of Húp kept on with its own day-to-day struggles. Hyperinflation invaded the economy in the 1980s, wreaking havoc, and a controversial fishing system was implemented with disruption to small fishing villages. And then there was the sea ice. An ancient enemy, far more present as a threat than the Russians. It impedes fishing boats, cools the weather, and delays spring, starving livestock. Meanwhile, despite the government's will, the opposition to foreign troops in Iceland did not disappear. It continued to fester as a point of contention in politics and media, and public protest. From 1960 to 1991, 11 marches were held along a 15-kilometer stretch between the army base and Reykjavík. They were known as Keplavíkur Gunkur. The slogan of the opposition as they walked was Iceland, leave NATO, army go away. Iceland NATO, herin burt. Íslandur NATO, herin burt. Among the marchers were politicians and leaders and artists and housewives and hippies and the future president of Iceland, Oliver Ragnar Grímsson, who gave a fiery speech at the 1987 march. Opposition to foreign troops and NATO grew stronger when Iceland clashed with Great Britain in what is known as the Cod Wars. The Cod Wars were a series of skirmishes over 20 years from the late 1950s to when a final agreement was reached in 1976. The point of contention was fishing rights in the important waters of the North Atlantic. Now, this territory had been fought and argued over for centuries, but in 1958, after a contentious conference at the United Nations, Iceland extended its territorial waters to 12 miles. When Britain refused to accept this a series of three so-called Cod Wars kicked off. British fishing ships, accompanied by the Royal Navy, invaded Icelandic waters, and the Icelandic Coast Guard sabotaged UK fishing nets. Both sides used their vessels as battering rams. Each of the three ocean skirmishes ended with a victory for Iceland, extending its fishing territory from three to eventually 200 miles offshore. But the David and Goliath story of Iceland's only war Fighting over fish, of course, often overlooks a key tactic. One of the weapons Iceland employed was a threat to leave NATO and kick out the US Army. Given Iceland's strategic importance in the North Atlantic during the Cold War, this was a trump card. The UK government capitulated and retreated from Icelandic waters. Despite the tension, there were no fatalities during the Cod Wars. Meanwhile, the Cold War carried on. Sentiments around foreign troops in Iceland led to divisions in society and politics, but Iceland was more than happy to help facilitate world peace. Take a 15-minute walk east of downtown Reykjavik, and you'll come upon a stately white timber building by the ocean front called Havvi. Havvi became the stage for a 1986 meeting called the Reykjavik Summit between Gorbachev and Reagan. And the road to the end of the Cold War. The talks dissolved at the last minute, but the progress promoted by Iceland helped lead to a successful treaty in 1987. Human rights were discussed seriously for the first time. Launch systems and nuclear warhead stockpiles were reduced to 6,000, 2,000 more than previously discussed. But more importantly, perhaps, the meeting promoted a friendship. There would be more summits, signatures and handshakes between the two men, as Cold War tensions slowly thawed. The Pendulum Swings While the end of the Cold War was celebrated, it did not bring an end to foreign troops in Iceland. The NATO naval base at Kaplavík continued to operate under US control and became an important part of the economy and the social fabric of the country. The presence of the United States, while still controversial, became more easily accepted. But 9-11 changed everything. The Middle East became the new battleground and the North Atlantic no longer held such a significant strategic place in geopolitics. The government of Iceland pleaded with Washington to leave at least some of the F-15 fighter jets and even agreed to sign up for war alongside the Coalition of the Willing. Iceland broke its own sacred oath of never declaring war on any nation by joining over 40 countries supporting the Iraq invasion. Even so, the U.S. military left Iceland in 2006. No more fighter jets roaring over the town of Keplavík. No more military assistance for search and rescue operations. No more smuggling of cheap alcohol from the army base. No more cute soldiers in uniforms. And the list of goodbyes goes on. After being decommissioned in 2006, the sprawling old military base at Keplavik became the site of a university, cheap student housing, social housing and refugee center, along with some local industry. Aside from the fighter jet on display and some signs in English as you drive into the area now known as Ausbru, there is little trace of the 50-year relationship between the U.S. and Iceland. The breakup, however, would be short-lived. Tensions between old Cold War foes began to heat up again. Russian military presence in the Arctic began to grow, and Iceland once again found itself at the fulcrum of strategic importance due to its location in the world. In recent years... NATO forces have taken turns patrolling and exercising in Iceland, and since 2016, the U.S. military has increased its presence here with a new multi-million dollar aircraft hangar. Although Iceland attempted to push war away since its autonomy in 1918, the location of the 100,000 square kilometer island was and is likely to continue being a magnet for the tentacles of war and hopefully as well peace. No one is an island, or so the saying goes, and Iceland's role in wars during the 20th century drives that point home. The idea of Iceland as an innocent, peaceful nation may be true on a day-to-day basis, but it leaves out the geopolitical reality of this small island nation. Though Iceland has long lost its reputation as the home of marauding Vikings, It has gained the status as a small but important participant in 20th century geopolitical affairs. Thanks for listening to our Iceland War and Peace episode. Check out the other episodes in this Iceland guide for more on Iceland's unique food, its wild weather, and a story about two murders that rocked this peaceful nation. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or download the Circa app where you can also get pictures and maps and notes on this episode and more. Maybe you'll want to sample our guides for New York, Hawaii, Mexico City and many more to come. Circa, love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it.